Welcome to the Effective Data Scientist Podcast. The podcast is designed to help you improve your skills, stay focused, manage successful projects, and have fun at work. Be an effective data scientist now. Hello, this is Alexander Schacht from the Effective Statistician. Uh, welcome to another episode here. Today, I'm the only host here. My co-host, Benjamin Pieske, is actually on vacation. So I'll handle that myself. And um, he has his well-deserved break from the uh, podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, Shafi. He has... Uh, been my friend for quite a long time. Um, do you remember when we first met, Shafi? I think it's when you first started, uh, let's see, 2002. Yeah. 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 A long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> and we worked together on a phase three study. Actually, my first one, it was uh, my, my first year in the industry. And it was really a crazy time. It was, there was so much pressure on, on the study. And, um, we had there were two studies, twin studies. And there was, um, one team in Europe working on it and one team in the US working on it. And was, there was high emotions involved. <laughs> confusion on all kind of different topics, uh, topics. And it was really kind of, yeah. Literally, the, the, the fire was burning and you came in really as a firefighter, but, but you l really loved to be the firefighter in, in, in these kind of projects. Why actually? Uh, it's, um, it's really good, you know, cause there is a defined end. You know where you're trying to get to. You can just calm things down, see what the problem is and then get on with it. But it's, um, uh, Big problems are always much nicer to tackle than just where it's just aimlessly wandering. So, yeah, no, no, it was really good. Yeah. So, so why do you think is a big topics better to tackle? Um, because often you you strip everything down to its most simple uh, parts, and then you work your way back up. And often it's not just that uh, actually. There are lots and lots of problems. It's often the, some couple of key fundamentals. Um, years ago, I was, uh, helping us, I got called in to another bit. It was actually, incidentally, another phase three trial. Um, and they had, I think, two weeks to lock and there's a complete mess. They were not quite sure where they were. So I came in and looked at how things were doing and you had different people with their own programs updating single data sets and things like this, but they're all too busy to actually look at how they'll work together. So we had to really stop everything and say, okay, just define everyone's role within the team, who was going to work on what, and really make it simp simplify everything. You know, the longer time you work on a project, you can often get sucked into lots of different bad practices. And, yeah, when you have someone, and when you have someone coming in from outside, yeah, they're looking at it with a very different view. 
and they can easily see the issues that you can't see yourself. So that's why it's nice to get called in to solve some of these like bigger issues. And we, with the other study, within two weeks, you know, we created some template programs and things like this, and uh, we managed to get everything done. Yeah, I, I, I completely remember the situation when you came into this uh, phase three study I was working on and it, everybody was also completely heads down and so busy on, on, um, doing their tasks that, um, there was nobody kind of seeing the bigger picture and, um, keeping everybody Calm down and then focus first on the organizational things, on the structural things. And yeah, as you said, simplifying things helped amazingly because I, I remember we kind of were updating data sets that were not used and stuff like this because we couldn't see that they were not used. <laughs> and so, um, that was, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Crazy time. I, I I saw a cartoon I think a few weeks ago, I think a while ago actually, on LinkedIn, and it was a, a group of people pushing a cart with square wheels up the hill, and there's someone standing at the side of the road with round wheels saying, "Ah, uh, excuse me," and they're like, "Sorry, we're too busy pushing this." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think we've all been in that situation. We're just too busy doing the stuff to actually take a step back. And see, actually, what's the best way? And often just basic restructuring solves most of the problems. Yeah, yeah, very much agree. Actually, sometime later after uh, we first met, you um, started your own company. And, and this episode here is very much about building your own company. What inspired you for this? Um, I don't know, it was really to do with helping people um, where you know, you know we're all busy doing our stuff and often if someone else, uh, what happened was it was someone they wanted to get into this programming industry and they didn't have they didn't work in this industry so I said okay uh, I'll give you a hand and then I would sit down with them in the evenings after work and just show them how to do stuff and so on and then after a while then I thought actually they're pretty good yeah, I remember and then, uh, a colleague that, yeah. that worked with us on this phase three study. He was an intern and yeah. had no prior programming experience. I think he was actually uh, a teacher in English and religion, yeah. I think. Yep, religious studies. Yeah. And so, yeah, and all he needed was, you know, he's very intelligent and so on. But, uh, you just need someone to get somewhere to get started. And uh, I had a good boss who was actually, they needed people. And I said, look, here's an opportunity, someone who's pretty good. And so they tried it and then they were really happy. So, and then there were other people similarly who also wanted some help to get into this industry. So then I started helping them uh, again in the evening. So my evenings were full of just teaching people. <laughs> <laughs> And, but it was a lot of fun. So, and then, uh, yeah, and then slowly more and more people came. And then in the end, I had to uh, get some other people to help with trading. But uh, that's how it started, just uh, in my uh, living room. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. So, so it was really kind of 
your desire to to help people and and your the fun part for you the all the teaching and then to put that into some kind of more more formal structure was that the the origin of yeah, the company exactly so it was really just getting you know just teaching and so on and it grew from there that actually more and more people wanted to get into this industry and there were more people who were clients who were asking look can they have some people and they were very happy with the people that I provided them you know who came from no programming background at all that uh, they were very happy to take on more people from me so um, and that really was how it started because you already knew a lot of clients through your own hands-on work didn't you yeah yeah i mean uh, i did a lot of work um with with because i worked with cro's in the past and so we had we worked with lots of different pharma companies and uh, you know this idea of sharing knowledge and stuff it's something that really goes back a long way um and whatever i did i always try to let everyone know so that they can help themselves. And so, you know, usually I go to conferences like Fuse, PSI, and I always try to present something. It doesn't matter what, even something simple, just so that, because we're, all, we're in this one industry and everyone's having similar problems. So if you go there and you show them a way that you've resolved something, it will help a lot of people. And if someone has a better way of solving that same problem, they can tell you, and then you've learned something as well. So, yeah. and it yeah. helps for your everyday life very often, and and um, exactly. yeah, 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 completely agree. And that it doesn't always need to be these super complex novel approaches. I think a lot of actually effectiveness is in the little tasks we do every day. If we do them really in a brilliant way that will make a much bigger impact than if we do you know this one single amazingly difficult task that we do every 10 years uh, in yeah. a much better way yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so but there's so many different CROs out there so so why did you needed to start another one <laughs> oh, that's a really good question um, I think The thing is, it's the environment is changing all the time. What was happening was that I see, like I said, we work with lots of different clients, and even then I was working with lots of different companies. And you see that they have some really bad providers, and they stick with them uh, because, I don't know, uh, someone at the above said, yep, you must work with this company, and so they stick with them. But actually, they weren't provide, getting good service. And some companies are good at one thing, but then they're also, because they're already in, then they also do other things which they're not good at. And what I think is actually, if you have people who are dedicated to a specific task, they're much better than someone who's doing this a, a little bit on the side. So that was really the thing that I thought, actually, you know, if we have a group of programmers who are taught to program, and that's, again, it's very different from just learning on the job. And you can often see this. The people who actually were trained as programmers, I don't mean necessarily a university or anything like this, but they were trained by someone as a programmer and someone who's just learned on the job. 
there is a big difference and you can often see it in the way they approach problems, solutions. So I thought actually what, you know, with the skills that I have, I thought we can really make a difference. And one of my first tasks was really to look at an organization and see, see how they're working and work out the best way to for their team to work and that meant like creating for some people for some things we had to, we created templates for other things we created macros for other things we updated procedures but you, you kind of need to have really good contact with the work you know mm-hmm. um, there's a difference between say for example the way a statistician approaches programming and the way a programmer approaches programming the the statistician generally approaches because they they have a problem they want to solve it and here's a it's a complex analytical stuff let's get they work on it and then they resolve it and it's done the programmer generally the first thing you think about is actually um, I might have to do this again <laughs> I okay. might have to do this again in a few months time or a few years time so how can I do it so that I can reuse this and this is just one basic example uh, between two different types of people solving the same problem yeah I think the statistician comes in with a com- very different motivation than 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 the programmer because exactly. I think the the, um, the statistician comes in with uh, he wants to answer a specific question for a specific study um, and uh, is also not programming on a daily basis usually so um, exactly. And yeah. the programmer is thinking, actually, if I have to answer this question again, how can I write this program so that I don't have to do too much work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think to, to have a good approach in, in terms of laziness actually is something that I learned a lot from you in terms of programming. So, so, uh, I learned that kind of, elegant programming is usually involves lots of laziness. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yeah. a good kind of laziness, but you need that in a programmer. Otherwise, you just end up with lots of inefficient processes. So, so really kind of your view on the company was you wanted to have um, a different approach to training the staff. So, how does your training approach actually look like in your company? So what we usually do is when we have uh, new starters, it doesn't matter if they're experienced or not experienced. They all go through a set of um, like core SaaS training uh, modules. It's to make sure that they really understand stunts. Because often, you know, and we've had people who've worked for like 10 years, and then you ask them questions and they're not sure. And... It's because they've always learned to do things, but actually they never really understood how it's working in the background. So what we do is we train really everyone for a period of time, and especially if they're not as experienced, they get up to six months of training before they even come close to a client project. And it's just so that they understand how SAS works, how database, how the, what about the clinical trials, about the data. So that they have a good understanding. So when they come and speak to you about AE data or about lab data, they already know what the data kind of looks like, what are the things that cause problems, and if there are certain problems, what are the 
the usual solutions so that you don't feel like you're speaking to a complete novice. So uh, for me, that was really important that actually we add value that you don't, you're not working with people that who you feel that you have to train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I we've all come across those. <laughs> yeah. I can completely relate to that. So in terms of uh, the people that you recruit, uh, so also if you recruit these people that are completely new to, to the industry, just want to join the industry, um, where do you actually uh, recruit them most? Um, so in Europe, it's generally people that I know, uh, either friends, relatives or friends of friends and things like this. But, uh, in Bangladesh, we generally recruit mainly from universities, um, and, uh, from sometimes from other companies where they've heard good things about what we do. Um, in Bangladesh, there isn't really, um, lots of, uh, jobs for, uh, statistical programming. Um, there, there's lots of other tasks and stuff, but if you want to do kind of statistics and you want to do programming, this is a really quite a unique place. And so what we do is we have quite good connections with several universities and with their professors and we go and visit them often. We sometimes provide uh, lectures and we also like have uh, free training courses and so on so that people find out about clinical trials and what kind of analytical work we do, what kind of programming we do. Um, and so there's actually quite a big, big buzz. And so then when we try to recruit, it's very uh, easy. We have a lot of people applying. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, I've never been to Bangladesh. How, how is it to, to actually live and work in Bangladesh? Ah, uh, it's, uh, it's very nice. It's very different from Europe. So, um, and in general, the working culture is also very different. But what we try to do is we try to create almost like a European culture, at least within the office. So, you know, like everyone speaks English um, in the office. Uh, we have a, you know, a pool table, we have a big widescreen TV and so on, so that when it's cricket season, they can watch a cricket and things like this. So it's a very different way of working. So... The way we have is we spend actually within our six months of training, we also teach them how to actually think and ask questions and so on. Because again, there's different culture. The way it is there is generally you don't question your superiors and so on. And we promote that actually if you don't, if you're not sure about something, you always ask. And if you think your superior is wrong, then you question them. And you should always be happy with the answer you get. So it's very different. But we try to, and the environment that we've created is really good. So people generally, you know, there are quite a few companies out there that whenever we're recruiting, we're always getting lots of people from those companies applying because they like the structured approach. They like the kind of uh, freedom to think and actually provide your own input. Um, so, yeah, it, it's very different from Europe in general. But we try to create a structure which is an environment which is much closer to how we do things here. And that also makes it easier for them to work with people in Europe. So, okay. And the US. How, how, many, how many people do you have actually located in Bangladesh? Um, we have about 45 people at the moment. And 
if you have so many people, um, how do you kind of make sure the, 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 you know, the culture stays, stays the same? Um, that's a, it's a difficult one. And, uh, but we try to make sure we do things, you know, which is really, the new people, they are always brought into the culture. So they learn, and like I said, right from the start, they learn to question people. They learn to, if something doesn't look right, you ask someone, what's going on? Why are we doing this? So not to accept things as given is almost like something that they're taught from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think without that, we would struggle. But we try to make sure, and then we re- we reinforce it throughout. Um so each year we have different like activities and so on to actually just reinforce this. That actually, look, this is how, you know, this is, don't worry about anything. So that's one of the key things that, you know, in other places people always fear, ah, if they step out of line, that they might get fired or something like this. And what we try to promote is never worry about that. If you see something, if you think better way of doing it, raise it. Let's push it forward. So, and I think that helps. And I think people like being involved. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the major things. If you, if you kind of, um, empower people to speak up, uh, that's a big, big motivation driver. Um, in terms of that, I think, you know, you just mentioned new people entering your, your company. Um, Entering is one thing, leaving is the other part. So, so <laughs> lots, lots of companies uh, struggle in terms of retention and uh, especially retaining the good people. Um, and that can, you know, I think that is a pretty big underestimated cost driver uh, and, and, you know, disrupts lots of different companies. Um, so how do you um, manage retention? Um for us, actually, we have really good staff retention. Uh, our uh, turnover is really low. Um, and as I said, mainly because the environment we provide for people to work in is really good, where they feel that they can be themselves. I mean, you've, you have to have your basics. <clears throat> so people, you know, they need to be paid well. They need to make sure that there's good bonus. So that's you have to if you don't do that then to a certain extent the other parts don't matter too much but once you do pay well and once people are happy with the work then it's really important that they have a good environment to work in and that's what they really like uh, with our company so and it's very different from other offices in Bangladesh so it doesn't matter about big you know they have big IT companies big telecom companies and also small companies but the environment is completely different. So, and that's why, like I said, whenever we start looking, we always get lots of people applying just because the word has spread that actually this is a really good environment to work in. So we don't really have anyone leaving our office to go and work for another company. There are some cultural things. So if someone leaves, it's usually to go abroad to study. Um, or, uh, if it's sometimes, uh, if it's a female, then they move to where their uh, husband is located. That's also traditional. 
Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, besides that, we don't really have people leaving to join another company. So that's also gives us a good comfort that uh, we're doing well for our staff. Yeah. So this episode is also to um, make people aware about kind of how to start your company and things like this. And I think lots of people fear that they get completely overwhelmed with, with all the different things. Um, now, I, I can remember we, we had a chat about your company uh, a little while ago and uh, And where you told me that one of your goals was to make yourself redundant in your own company. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I found is a really, really particular way of looking at your job. Um, but why did you actually want to do this and how do you approach that? Well, the thing is, um, sometimes, you know, you think you have to be involved in everything. And you think you have to make all the decisions. And sometimes, as you said before, if you empower people, if you train people to be good and to be able to think objectively and think what's good for the company, you don't need to make all the decisions. So what we've done is we've set up some committees and so on different groups who looks after different parts. And, you know, I speak to them at different times, so that I get an understanding of what's happening. But even right from the beginning, one of the things we always tell people is make sure there's someone else behind you who can do your role. Because if you don't have someone who can do your role, then you can't move on to the next thing. There are always more important and nicer challenges. But if you don't let someone else know how you're doing stuff because you want to keep it as a secret because to be powerful or, I don't know, to be really influential. But it stops you from moving forward. So I always try to think, how can I get other people to do my work so that at least those particular bits I can then give to them and then I can then look forward to other new challenges. So, uh, and that's something that we, again, it's like you said with culture, it's something that we try to drive within the company. So everyone is always trying to make sure <laughs> that there's someone else who's shadowing them so that if they're away, if they're on holiday, they don't need to get phone calls or if they move on to another bigger project or something else, you know, or at least that they have the possibility to because they're not stuck with these few tasks. So I think that's important for people to grow. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good general advice for, for Korea to always have this abundance mindset that there's always further opportunities coming up. Uh, you know, we don't need to stick to the opportunities that we just have and, and uh, kind of hold them so tight that, you know, no one else can take over. Um, I think, and I think that goes in line with the, teaching approach that you have so that uh, really sharing the knowledge and um, making sure that all the other people can also benefit from that yeah um, and what I find amazing about this is that you find the time to regularly 
present at different conferences. So, um, for example, at the PSI conference in 2017, you gave a great presentation about um, some amazing tools to analyze and visual da visualize data at the same time. Um, it was in the visualization session. And I found it really, really cool. But, but I, I think that also in... Um, you need to spend a lot of time to actually develop something like this. So um, how do you get these things done beside all your client work that you're doing? <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the things that we do is that we try to make sure that we have lots of uh, internal projects because the like I said, the thing that drives me is uh, you know making getting rid of mundane work. Anything that we don't need to, we shouldn't spend too much time on. So I'm always looking at how to solve all our basic issues so that we can spend time on uh, really more important stuff. So it, so for me that is really important. And what we do is we try to we have quite a big. Uh, development budget. So we really try to spend most of our time. So we have a big group who are working on different projects to really move the industry forward. Um, years ago, I remember at one of the conferences, I said that I was uh, really not happy that we as an industry, you know, considering how the technology has moved forward, we are still essentially producing PDF reports, which is just like a piece of paper. Um, at the end um, but yep. getting there we're doing so much more interesting things you know in terms of science and the technology used in science but as soon as it comes to the analytical part we stop <laughs> we go back down to your basic tables figures and uh, writing PDF uh, documents um, so for me, it's like, how do we make this much more informative? So it's like, like you said, with the visualization. Well, you already have to produce your summary tables for this PDF report that you have to submit to the FDA. Well, why not use that data for other things? Why not visualize it? Because if you look at it in a graphical way, it has a much bigger impact. You can get, you can easily spot data outliers. You can easily spot if there's something wrong with one of the treatments or one of the populations. You can go through so much data with one or two, like, animated graphs or interactive graphs where you're drilling down into things. And it's just much better than just looking at tables. So I'm always trying to see not just how we can do the same thing slightly differently. So instead of writing a program to do this, how can we write a program differently? I'm trying to figure out how can we avoid writing programs, <laughs> and which might sound strange coming from a programmer. But, you know, there are lots of really nice analysis that we want to try and do and we want to investigate, but we don't have time because we're writing demography tables. And although I hear lots of people saying, ah, oh, no one really writes those things anymore, but in reality, people do. People are spending a lot of time writing these tables. So that's why So we've just finished a new application where you don't actually write programs anymore for the table, for you to produce your tables, listings, or figures. So you select, so you have programs, you have auto-generated programs, which 
produces analysis results. And then you just choose interactively which shell you wanted, which result you want to go into that shell, and then you have your output. So, yeah, I think, I think the, the key thing here is to, um, separate the anal- analysis results from how you look at them. Exactly. So, and I think tables is just one way of looking at them or graphics is another way of looking at them. And maybe, you know, uh, the, the clinical trials.gov report is another way to look at them or, you know, um, maybe local HDA dossiers that you need in certain European countries is another look at the same data. And I, I think if, if we think of these different views on the data in terms of, you know, it's just different templates that draw from the same underlying data set that, that contains all the, all the core results. It's a much better and easier way to look at it. And one of the things that we're looking into at the moment is virtual reality. You know, like we use that for games and so on. But actually, in terms of data analysis, it can have a huge impact. And, uh, you know, if you look at your results, that's what you're presenting. It's much easier. If you can, like, we do things by touch. So if you can touch a number and you can see all the data that went into it and things like this, so much more informative, so much better, so much clearer. It can really change how, what we're producing at the end. So that's kind of what we're looking at at the moment. So as I said, the aim is always to see what can we do more than just how we're, what we're achieving now. So, so that is one of my, my dream scenarios. I, uh, you know, I sit here in, in Germany in a location and the other team members might sit in the UK or in the US. And we all go into a, into a virtual room where there's lots of different, basically, yeah, something like screens where all the different data sets are displayed. So, so for example, where you see all the different efficacy uh, endpoints uh, by by treatment, and you see all the safety endpoints by treatment, and then you can actually um, select. Okay, now I want to see all these things by, let's say, gender or something like this, and and all the different screens change at the same time, and you see how. Uh, gender affects the, the treatment differences on the efficacy side as well as on the safety side. And you can see trends, how they are uh, moving on. And then maybe, you know, you can switch around and want to see kind of um, a specific endpoint across lots of different subgroups and see whether there is consistency. And um, so that that is kind of my dream scenario because currently we are so much kind of stuck in looking into these small screens or you know or even print out the lots of pdf and arrange it on the floor so you can see all the things together <laughs> i think this is kind of like like we did things 30 years ago <laughs> exactly and in fact like one of the, my big driving uh, things was um 
really, I found a program, uh, I think it was last year, um, which I wrote when I was a placement student at GSK many moons ago. And uh, this is when I was still at university. And uh, if you just change some variable names um, and data set names, it produced the output that we produce now. And I thought, how sad is that? It's like if you... <laughs> Five years later, we haven't moved on any further. Than, and it doesn't matter what people say. Oh, we're doing things differently. At the end of the day, you're still ending up with this one demography table. And that's kind of the sad thing. <laughs> and uh, so really what I'm driving, trying to drive at is actually get to this thing where you can do a lot more. Um, but the challenge is, uh, you know, finding partners to come on this journey with me because, um, often, especially like, uh, the pharma companies, they, they just want to get things done and, uh, or at least if they want to go on one of the adventures, they want to go with the big company and, uh, you know, they have a huge budget and so on. And actually, we are, like I say, a small company, but we have very niche things. Niche, you know, we look at something specific. And so, for example, with this virtual reality, it actually needs really a lot of computing power. <laughs> so we are having to invest in new servers and so on so that we can just investigate how we can create this platform. Um, and, but, we need, if we, uh, you know, a uh, pharma company to come and join us so that actually they can work with us. They can tell us some of the other problems that they have that we haven't come across yet so that you actually build a solution which is really good at the end. So that's kind of, you know, in terms of like going forward, that's one of the things that, you know, we need to try to get better at to get more people to buy into our vision and uh, work with us to solve some of these bigger problems, to move, to kind of to move the industry forward. Not really solving problems, but it's kind of to move forward, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that relates to, to your mission statement, which reads like, um, using the advancement of science and technology to develop innovative solutions that continue to provide benefit to our clients beyond the expectation. Um, I think what you just described is, is very much kind of, uh, the, an example of, of this mission statement. Um, but how did you actually come up with this mission statement? Was that kind of, you on a on a journey wrote it down, or did you work together with the team? Uh, that? It's something that well, I wrote it down, and we went uh, and I tried to figure out actually what is it that drives me, and that's really important because everyone has to buy into the same dream, <laughs> and if they don't, then actually you have lots of issues. So if we're going to work towards uh, on the same dream, we need to know what what, it, what is it that drives uh, the company. And so I looked at what drives me, and it really I want to find solutions that makes our lives better. 
that get things done quicker without having to do more work. Of course, you can always be able to produce nice interactive graphs, but you have to then get a programmer who spends three weeks programming this. And my idea is, how can we get all these things without having to spend three weeks programming? So that's really where my aim comes from. And I need everyone else in my company to buy into this dream so that they're also trying to provide solutions. So when we try to provide a solution, whether it's for tables or it's for non-mem or whatever, the client's... They know what they're expecting from us. They know, and they'll probably get the same thing from all the other CROs. But what can we do more? What can we give more that they weren't expecting? And how does this help their next study and their next study? So each, each subsequent study should take, you know, use less resource and provide more information more quickly. That's always our aim. And I think, like I said, I spoke to uh, the rest of the team and we discussed it and so on. And yeah, and they they bought into this. And for them, this is they agreed that this is what drives them. And this is how they can help to come up with better things. So, but it's really it was really important for me that they buy into this. Because if it's just a mission statement for the sake of having a mission statement, then it doesn't work then it doesn't mean anything. So it's really important that they felt that they could use this. And whenever, you know, they're, they're stuck with something and they're not sure what to do and so on, to always come back to this for inspiration. How can what solution I'm providing? How is this better? How is this advancing anything? So, yeah, so that I think is what drives me. And having spoken to the team, I think this is what drives them. So which should hopefully lead to success, but at least better fulfillment of their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, there's another sentence that I stepped over on your homepage that says, uh, we take pride in our work, um, which I think is very much reflective of, of what you just described. It's, it's about, um, yeah, being proud of what you do and uh, have have fun with it and um, be be engaged with it and come to work so that you can have actually an impact in the world. Exactly. And, you know, like when you do something that you're really proud of, you get, you get very excited and you want to show people, oh, it's like, look, at, look, at, look at this that I've just done and so on. And that's really nice and that's sense of achievement it doesn't matter whether it's big or small whatever you've done but it makes you feel happy and it makes you look forward to the next challenge rather than and you know whether you're showing it to your friends well not friends hopefully but uh, your colleagues and like your clients and so on whenever you come up with something nice um, it's makes life uh, better makes you happier yeah yeah, so, so we talked now a lot about uh, leadership and um, after now 40 minutes chatting with you, I <laughs> wanted to close this episode out with, uh, with a question about your favorite leadership quote. Do you have one? Um, I think for me, it's really about teamwork and, 
Yeah, no, I can't think of one at the moment, actually, off the top of my head. But I remember reading a quote, and it was uh, about teamwork. It was, how do you, uh, like, w- when you come together as a team, that's when you can finally solve things. Individually, it's just small parts. But as a team, you can deliver much better than you can on your own. So for me, that's really uh, the nice thing. Completely agree on that one. Thanks a lot for the time today. Um, and this will not be the last episode with you. We'll uh, do another episode about um, uh, some things that we work on every day, which is uh, programming and how to program in a good way and how to actually reduce lots of stuff <laughs> like we talked about. So listen in to uh, one of the next episodes. We'll talk about this. Mm-hmm.